Learn to Lead, Volume 1, Chapter 3, The Art and the Science. Chapter Outline. In this chapter you will learn about Section 1, Introduction, What Makes a Leader? Section 2, What is Leadership? The Air Force Definition. Comparative Definitions. Section 3, Roles of the Leader. Leader as Visionary. Leader as Motivator. Leader as Communicator. Leader as Expert. Leader as Teacher. Section 4, Two Introductory Theories. Great Man Theory. Trait Theory. Section 5, Symbol of America, the Flag. Section 6, Drill and Ceremonies. Section 7, Review Quiz. Chapter 3 Goals. 1. Form a working definition of leadership. 2. Appreciate why leaders need to display special qualities. 3. Defend the idea that the U.S. flag is a symbol worthy of respect. Section 1. Introduction. What makes a leader? What qualities make someone great? And who deserves to be followed? As young people begin to find their way in the world, these questions confront them. What distinguishes cadets is their willingness to answer. If there are certain truths in life, mathematical, philosophical, poetical, there must be a truth explaining what elevates an individual and allows them to fulfill their potential. This chapter considers what makes leaders extraordinary. They seem to display something special that sets them apart, but what? As young people who mean to lead, cadets need to figure out what gives leaders the edge so they might know which qualities to develop in themselves. Section 2. What is leadership? Objectives. 1. State the Air Force's definition of leadership. 2. Describe what the three components of the Air Force's definition of leadership mean in your own words. The Air Force defines leadership as The art and science of influencing and directing people to accomplish the assigned mission. That's a dense definition containing several important concepts. Let's examine it then piece at a time. The art and science. Leadership is an art because it requires imagination and creative skill. No two leaders approach a challenge exactly alike. There are usually several right answers to a leadership problem. Further, leaders bring their unique personality to their work and express themselves as individuals. Because how a leader acts is a matter of style and personal judgment, leadership is an art. But leadership is also a science because it is an academic subject requiring careful study, observation, and experimentation. Much of what we know about leadership is rooted in social sciences like psychology, political science, and sociology that try to use the scientific method to study why people behave as they do. Scholars look for cause and effect in leadership the same way scientists analyze chemical reactions. As an art, leadership gives leaders freedom to express themselves. As a science, leadership demands that leaders think before they act. Of influencing and directing people. A mechanic works with screwdrivers and wrenches. An accountant works with numbers. But a leader works with people. Leaders find a way to affect people, to get them to do something. A leader may try to shape how the team thinks so its members see the world in a new way. Or a leader may appeal to emotions in hopes that teammates change how they feel toward something. And in some cases, a leader may simply tell someone to do something, relying on their authority. But in the end, a leader cares mostly about changing behavior. They try to shape someone's thoughts or feelings so that that person goes and does something. To accomplish the assigned mission. What is that something? the leader wants their people to do. The mission. The mission is the reason why the team exists. When expressed in broad strokes, a mission defines the team's long-term goal. For example, Google's mission is to organize the world's information.
Apple's is to spearhead the digital revolution. Although these slogans lack detail, the mission statements explain in simple words what those companies aim to do. Missions can be much smaller in scope, too. Lead the cadet safely through a compass course is a mission a cadet non-commissioned officer might be assigned one afternoon. Among the leader's many responsibilities, accomplishing the mission is the most important other definitions of leaders and leadership. Objective 3. Identify three components most definitions of leadership have in common. This text uses the Air Force's definition to describe leadership. But because leadership is partly an art, subject to different interpretations, and because it is still a young academic subject, there is no universally agreed-upon definition for leadership. Most experts include in their definition of leadership three components, the leader, the followers, and the goal. What are some other ways to define leadership or the leader? This is what some other experts say. The activity of influencing people to strive willing for group objectives. The task of leadership is to accomplish some change in the world in response to human wants. Leadership is the accomplishment of a goal through direction of human assistance. The man who successfully marshals his human collaborators to achieve particular ends is a leader. One who mobilizes others toward a goal shared by leader and followers. A leader is someone who has followers. Assumptions about leadership in America. Objective 4. Identify five assumptions about the American understanding of leadership. Culture, the attitudes, customs, and values of a civilization, influences how we approach leadership. There's more to leadership than the words used to define it. Certain understandings are left unspoken. In America, for example, our society is built on democratic values. We bring those values to the table when studying leadership. Someone from 17th century England, by comparison, living under a king who claims a divine right to rule, would approach leadership with different assumptions because of their culture. What are some assumptions about the American understanding of leadership? Culture's influence. To boost his stature from that of a military officer to royalty, Napoleon had himself crowned emperor of France. In contrast, when President Harding suddenly died, Calvin Coolidge's father swore him into office as president in the living room of their modest Vermont farmhouse. What do the two scenes say about how culture affects our understanding of leadership? You don't need to be a commander to lead. Leadership does not equal command, according to the Air Force, but all commanders should be leaders. Great men and women throughout history have influenced and directed people to accomplish something remarkable, without having formal authority over their followers. In refusing to give up her seat to a white man, Rosa Parks became a leader in the cause of civil rights. Thousands were inspired to boycott city buses in Montgomery, Alabama, despite her having no formal authority or command role. Recall the Air Force's definition of leadership. No reference is made to the leader having a certain rank or position. Leaders are made, not born. Leaders are not born, they are made, according to legendary football coach Vince Lombardi. And they are made just like anything else through hard work. While some people have a natural way with words or were born with a certain charm that helps them lead, leading is now seen as something everyone has the potential for. The Air Force's official view on leadership states that leadership can be built through experience, education, and training. Leaders are accountable. Why do kings become tyrants? The Founding Fathers reasoned it is because kings are accountable to no one. The Declaration of Independence reads as an indictment against King George III, 
whose rule was so unjust it disrespected the rule of law. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, Americans have come to insist that with power comes responsibility. Even if a leader does not have a direct supervisor they must answer to, our free press can expose their misdeeds and hypocrisy, holding them accountable in the court of public opinion. Leaders are not bullies. While a leader influences and directs people, another assumption is that leaders should take a positive approach. Threats, coercion, and extortion are not tools genuine leaders use. Rather, in the words of Lincoln, leaders appeal to the better angels of our nature. Boss versus Leader Consider the differences between a boss who acts like a bully and a leader. The boss says I. The leader says we. The boss inspires fear. The leader inspires enthusiasm. The boss fixes blame. The leader fixes problems. The boss says go. The leader says let's go. The boss drives. The leader leads. Author unknown. Leadership must be moral. Can an evil person lead? One respected theorist says no. In this view, leadership is taking place only when an honorable person pursues goals that broadly serve a public good. Hitler, for example, certainly influenced and directed people to accomplish something, but the whole Nazi enterprise was evil. We don't call for good leadership, we expect, or at least hope, that it will be good. Reasons James McGregor Burns, bad leadership implies no leadership. I contend that there is nothing neutral about leadership. It is valued as a moral necessity. Who's the boss? President Truman versus General MacArthur, a five-star general, former superintendent of West Point, recipient of the Medal of Honor. How would you like to have someone of General Douglas MacArthur's stature challenging your authority to lead? During the Korean War, MacArthur bet he could push around his boss, President Harry Truman. It wasn't a smart bet. Truman was determined to keep the war from growing. If the battles spread into China, World War III could ensue. Despite knowing the president's policy, MacArthur publicly advocated dropping 30 to 50 atomic bombs on the Chinese. He promised to doom Red China. It was, in the words of the Secretary of State, insubordination of the grossest sort. But would Truman dare fire MacArthur? Arguably the most popular man in America, MacArthur was deeply respected in the Congress. In contrast, only 26% of Americans approved of Truman's performance as president. But Truman felt constitutional principles were at stake. General's answer to the president, not the other way around. MacArthur is not going to be allowed to quit on me, the president wrote in his diary. He's going to be fired. And so Truman signed the orders relieving MacArthur of his command. The outcry was enormous. Over 44,000 citizens sent telegrams to the White House. Only 334 expressed support for Truman. Senators talked of impeaching the president. But Truman had no regrets. The American people will come to understand that what I did had to be done. Today, historians and military officers alike point to the story of Truman firing MacArthur as a courageous act and the right decision. In America, everyone is accountable, even a godlike five-star general. Section 3, Roles of the Leader Objectives 5. Explain why leaders have to fill several roles. 6. Identify several roles leaders must play. 7. Cite examples from history showing each role in action. A new challenge every moment. To appreciate how challenging a leader's work is, consider all the different roles they need to play. One moment the leader must be a visionary, the next a communicator, the next a teacher. Strong leaders are always in demand precisely because it is difficult to find people who can perform well in so many different capacities. 
Described below are some roles leaders are called upon to play. Leader as visionary. Why do leaders need to be visionaries? In the everyday sense of the word, to lead means to bring someone to a new place. Visionary leaders imagine new, better, more exciting destinations for their teams. They see what the team can become. In Chapter 2, you learned about using a future picture to set goals for yourself. Visionary leaders paint an inspiring future picture for the whole team. Without a visionary leader, the team is focused only on the present, or even worse, the past, not the future. In fact, without visionary leaders, all human progress stops for one of leaders who see the benefit of change. Visionary leaders are creative thinkers and risk-takers who point their teams toward spectacular possibilities. Case History Brigadier General Billy Mitchell As one of the best combat airmen of World War I, Billy Mitchell knew the airplane represented the future. It was a breakthrough technology that would change the world. But Army and Navy officers were less imaginative in their thinking. They saw the young airplane serving only in supporting roles, like reconnaissance. Mitchell had to show the establishment that his vision was right and their thinking was short-sighted. To prove his point, Mitchell staged a demonstration. He bombed the captured German battleship Ostfriesland, sinking her. Still, most officers did not see the airplane as the fearsome new weapon of the future. Mitchell continued to imagine a future where the airplane dominates the battle. Seventeen years before Pearl Harbor, he was warning that Japan could use carrier-based airplanes to attack Hawaii. Few listened. Furious at his leader's lack of foresight, Mitchell famously charged, the Army and Navy are guilty of incompetence, criminal negligence, and an almost treasonable administration of the national defense. He said non-flying officers knew next to nothing about air power and yet were directing its course. His vision called for creating an independent air force that would not be subject to the Army or Navy. Eventually, military leaders grew tired of Mitchell publicly accusing them of being idiots. He was court-martialed and dismissed from the Army. But 20 years later, at the end of World War II, Billy Mitchell's vision of the airplane being the new king of battle was proven correct. Citing his outstanding pioneer service and foresight, Congress finally acknowledged the wisdom in his vision for air power, posthumously awarding him a Medal of Honor. Posthumously, a word meaning awarded after death. Cadets as visionary leaders. How does a leader's role in being visionary apply to cadets? On a personal level, cadets display visionary leadership as they imagine themselves in exciting careers. In the context of leading a team, cadets help the squadron decide what goals it will pursue. Should the squadron establish a drill team, aim to get everyone qualified in emergency services, try to double its membership. Cadets want to have a sense of ownership over their program. With that freedom comes the responsibility to provide visionary leadership. Cautionary note. Can this idea of being a visionary leader go too far? Visionary leaders are dreamers. In the worst cases, their dreams are so grandiose, wild, and far-fished as to be ridiculous. After all, leaders not only need to envision the future, they must live in the real world. And the more farsighted a leader tries to be, the more susceptible to changing circumstances their dreams become. Moreover, as the story of Billy Mitchell shows, having a vision is one thing. Inspiring others to follow it is something else. Leader as motivator. Leaders must be motivators. Behind every successful team is a leader who knows how to motivate people. A skillful leader understands how to issue a challenge. What seems impossible becomes possible when a leader knows how to motivate. Consider the home field advantage in sports. When the crowd cheers on their team, the team performs better. 
But motivation is more than just cheering, it comes in many forms. Money, praise, a prestigious position, awards, special privileges, and more. There are as many forms of motivation as there are people. Great leaders understand this and have a knack for knowing how to motivate each individual on their team. And because people can sometimes be blind to what is in their own best interest, leaders-slash-motivators help them focus on the right things. Motivational leaders inspire people to achieve. Case History, John F. Kennedy For centuries, the idea of a man setting foot on the moon was the ultimate example of the impossible. One poet described the moon as unattainable, a longing past the reach of longing, and yet Americans have walked upon its beaches. How did President Kennedy motivate America to make landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth a national goal? In a famous speech delivered at Rice University, he challenged America by appealing to the nation in several ways. First, he cited the great accomplishments of earlier generations. Those who came before us made certain that this country rode the first waves of the Industrial Revolutions. The logical conclusion is that Kennedy's generation had a duty to go to the moon. We do not mean to founder the backwash of the coming age of space, he proclaimed. We mean to be a part of it, we mean to lead it. Believing that most everyone wants to live in a great nation, Kennedy linked his moon challenge with our stature as a world power. He called the moon race, one of the greatest adventures of all time, and no nation which expects to be a leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in the race for space. Competition is another motivator. People want to win, and in the space race, the stakes were high. Kennedy argued that if the Soviet Union landed on the moon first, space would be governed by a flag of conquest, not a banner of freedom and peace. The prospect of a red moon controlled by the communists was motivation enough for many. Further, Kennedy motivated by putting his presidency on the line. I regard the decision to shift our efforts in space from low to high gear as among the most important decisions that will be made during my presidency. The engineers and scientists working on the Apollo project knew they would have the financial and other resources necessary for doing the job right. Wouldn't you feel motivated to work hard if you knew the president fully supported you? Most of all, Kennedy motivated by setting an audacious goal. And he did not pretend it would be easy. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. President Kennedy was a great leader in part because he was skilled in using a variety of techniques to motivate a whole nation toward the accomplishment of an exhilarating goal. Cadets as Motivators How does a leader's role in being a motivator apply to cadets? Cadets motivate one another all the time, during competitions, on obstacle courses, and whenever they try to build team spirit. Because the cadet program is self-paced, how far a cadet advances depends largely on how motivated they are. Through the Weeman concept discussed in Chapter 2, cadets motivate and encourage their friends in good times and bad. Moreover, a disciplined cadet needs to be self-motivated, willing to sacrifice short-term wants so they can achieve long-term goals. And of course, when a cadet takes charge of a team, they know the job comes with a responsibility to be a motivational leader. Motivated to perform. Being part of an elite team is a motivator. Ordinary teens are not entrusted to marshal the thousands of aircraft attending Air Venture, but CAP cadets are. Cautionary note. Can a leader's motivational qualities ever be too much of a good thing? 
Try too hard to motivate someone and you become a nag. Like a circus trainer with whip, the motivator becomes a tyrant, not a leader. Also, some great motivators draw their strength from their compelling personality. Such a leader might inspire the team to follow them for the wrong reasons, or worse, motivate them to do something they know is wrong but find hard to resist. And sometimes a motivational leader leaves people with a feeling of euphoria. The team's spirits are high, but are they truly motivated if those inner feelings are not transformed into measurable results? Finally, what happens if the motivational leader retires or dies? If the team cannot keep going on their own, were they ever truly motivated? Leader as communicator Why must a leader be an effective communicator? A leader will want to take an idea in his or her mind and deposit it in the minds of others. Even if a leader possesses the secret to the universe, that wisdom is useless without the ability to communicate it. Realizing this, the best leader-slash-communicators, as was said of Winston Churchill, mobilize the English language and send it into battle. They command the right word at the right time and conjure up images that appeal to people's emotions. They vary their message, doing whatever it takes to reach their audience. Even a smile or stern look sends a message. Having an ability to communicate well pays off in other ways, too. Good communicators are perceived to have orderly minds, which inspires confidence. People who speak well seem to know what they are talking about. Leaders who write convincingly show that they have a plan. As leaders-slash-communicators succeed in sharing meaning, their team begins to understand them and become more comfortable working with them. In contrast, a leader who does not communicate well is a mystery to their team. Every botched attempt to communicate only spreads confusion. Case History Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King was a leader because he knew how to communicate. His I Have a Dream speech is recognized as one of the greatest oratorical performances of all time. What makes him so great at sharing meaning? At the time of his speech, in 1963, America was divided along racial lines. Dr. King could have delivered an angry speech that might have satisfied the passions of those who experienced injustice in the Deep South. Such an approach would likely alienate some whites, even those sharing his political goals. Instead, he projected optimism, confidence, a belief in America. He was not protesting against America, but standing up for its best ideals. Leaders who take a positive approach in tough times seem to succeed more than those whose anger overcomes them. Consider Dr. King's choice of words. He begins, five score years ago, recalling Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, another speech that tried to heal old wounds and bring a nation together. And in choosing the Lincoln Memorial as his backdrop, King invited the audience to see him as a modern Lincoln. A reference to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness soon follows, showing that Dr. King's goals are the same as Jefferson's. And Dr. King tells us he will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, a biblical reference familiar to Jews and Christians alike. By the time his chorus, I have a dream today, comes around to be repeated nine times, Every one of the 200,000 people in the audience has found plenty to agree with. King used language to bring people together. His dream became their dream. Cadets as communicators. Remember when you were first learning drill, how you'd stumble through about face or to the rear? Now try to explain those tricky movements to a brand new cadet who seems to have two left feet. Making complex ideas easy to understand is the work of a communicator. Have you encountered people who were curious about your uniform? only to find yourself tongue-tied in trying to explain the whole of cadet life in 25 words or less? 
Cadets find their communication skills tested all the time. They must learn how to take complicated ideas, break them down, simplify them, and share meaning. And, as discussed in the previous chapter, cadets are on the receiving end of communications too, so they also need to listen and read well. Cautionary note. Can this idea of the leader being a communicator go too far? Talk is cheap. People judge leaders by their conduct, not their words. A leader who speaks eloquently about integrity and yet is a known liar will never inspire trust. Some leaders communicate with style. They win the audience's attention. But a leader will not win lasting respect if they are all style and no substance, if their ideas sound great but fall apart under scrutiny. Leaders must also avoid over-communicating. At a certain point all the talk becomes noise, a waste of time with no one paying attention. Six Steps to Becoming a Better Speaker 1. Know your material. Pick a topic you are interested in. 2. Practice. Rehearse aloud and have friends watch. Look for opportunities to speak in public. 3. Relax. Pause, smile, and count to three before saying anything. 4. Visualize yourself. Imagine yourself speaking loudly, clearly, confidently. 5. Don't apologize. If you goofed, don't stop. Just keep going. 6. Evaluate yourself. Think about how you did and what you can do to become a better speaker. Leader as expert. Why must a leader be an expert? Great leaders often bring to the job of leading a deep, technical knowledge of their field. Being an expert in a particular subject, knowing more about it than just about anybody, can help a leader see possibilities unimagined by others. Moreover, possessing expert knowledge helps the leader establish their credibility and win respect. And while a leader is not necessarily a doer, if you were to lead a team, you'll need some technical expertise. After all, how can a leader expect to answer questions, solve problems, and inspire people if he or she knows next to nothing about what the team does? Case History, Jimmy Doolittle Jimmy Doolittle was an expert in the science that makes flight possible, earning one of the first PhD degrees in aeronautics. He studied sophisticated navigation techniques, which led to him making the first cross-country flight across the United States. He helped invent one of the most important aircraft instruments, the artificial horizon, which led to him being the first to take off and land blind, relying on instruments alone. Working with shell oil, he found ways to make aircraft engines perform better, and then used the technology in setting numerous speed records. But Doolittle's most famous accomplishment came in the early days of World War II, when he devised a method for launching Army Air Force bombers from a Navy aircraft carrier. At first, many in his squadron thought the idea was too risky. But knowing their leader was an aeronautical genius must have been reassuring. Would a less knowledgeable aviator have inspired as much confidence as Jimmy Doolittle? Probably not. Doolittle's plan resulted in a daring raid on Tokyo. He was able to strike Japan, lifting the spirits of millions of Americans still reeling from the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. For his bravery and leadership, he was awarded the Medal of Honor. General Jimmy Doolittle is recognized as a leading aviator largely because of his immense technical expertise. Cadets as Experts How does a leader's role in being an expert apply to cadets? Ranking cadets are trainers. They show new cadets how to drill, how to wear the uniform properly, and how to use a compass and read a map. To be effective leaders, cadet officers and NCOs need to be experts in all aspects of cadet life. Cautionary note. Can this idea of the leader being a technical expert go too far? 
Just because someone knows a lot about a particular subject does not mean they will make a good leader. The best pilot might not have the people skills needed to lead pilots. The smartest software engineer might not aspire to the challenge of leadership. Sometimes organizations promote people to positions of leadership based on their technical expertise alone. When that happens, the Peter Principle is at work. The principle states, in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. According to this cynical, but often true, theory, an organization will notice someone for doing one thing well, and then promote that person to a job beyond their ability. Put another way, performing technical work requires one skill set, leading requires yet another, leader as teacher. Must a leader be a teacher? Education is not the filling of a pail. According to the poet Eats, but the lighting of a fire. Good leaders know how to ignite a spark within their people, to bring out their best. In many ways, good leadership is good teaching. Leaders teach their teams how to act and what to value. As role models, they teach through their example. When the team needs training in how to do a job, the leader acts as teacher. In coaching people and helping them fully realize their potential, the leader teaches. Effective leaders must be good teachers because they routinely find themselves presenting ideas, arguing for a course of action, or just persuading someone to come around to their way of thinking. Teachers help people see the world in a new way, so do leaders. Case History and Sullivan Do you ever find it difficult to get others to understand you? Now imagine the person you want to communicate with is an unruly six-year-old girl who is blind and deaf. This was the task facing a 20-year-old teacher, Anne Sullivan. Communication seemed impossible. No wonder that the experts of the day told the little girl's family to give up hope for their daughter, Helen Keller. When teacher and student first met, Keller was a spoiled, out-of-control child incapable of performing everyday tasks. She would not wash her hands, button her boots, brush her hair. These routine chores had to be forced upon her. It was a physical struggle. The family was exhausted and at wit's end. As witness to these frustrations, Sullivan discovered a very basic but important aspect of education. Obedience, she wrote, is the gateway through which knowledge, yes, and love, too, enter the mind of a child. Her first task in educating Helen Keller would be simply to make her obey. Sullivan convinced the Keller family to allow the two to live together in a nearby cottage. The change in environment would signal to Keller that new rules were taking effect. Sullivan was in command. As Sullivan began teaching, she told herself, I shall assume that Helen has the normal child's capacity of learning. From personal experience, she knew this was true. As a girl, illness left Sullivan nearly blind. Her dream was to learn how to read like other children. Deep down, Sullivan knew that even blind children want to learn and contribute to society as much as anybody else. Educating blind and deaf children became her life's mission. After instilling some very basic discipline, Sullivan began teaching her student that everything has a name. She would give Keller a familiar object, like a doll, and trace the letters D-O-L-L -L onto the girl's palm. The breakthrough came with the word water. Sullivan doused one of Keller's hands with water while tracing the letters W-A-T-E-R onto the girl's free hand. Years later, Sullivan recalled, the word coming so close upon the sensation of cold water rushing over Helen's hand seemed to startle her. Helen stood transfixed. A new light came into her face. News of Sullivan's gifts as a teacher quickly spread. Author Mark Twain called her the miracle worker. Helen Keller grew up to become a famous humanitarian, advocate for women's suffrage, and defender of civil liberties. 
Because of Ann Sullivan's leadership, many Americans began to see that people with disabilities can live productive, successful lives. Ann Sullivan, hero for the hardcore cadet. Obedience is the gateway through which knowledge, yes, and love too, enter the mind of a child. Ann Sullivan, the miracle worker. With obedience being the foundation of Sullivan's philosophy on teaching, what would she think about the CAP cadet program? As soon as a young person becomes a CAP cadet, he or she is learning how to wear a uniform, how to stand at attention, and how to salute. In short, the first task of a cadet is to acquire self-discipline, another word for obedience. The sharp, disciplined, hardcore cadets of the Civil Air Patrol would have a friend in Ann Sullivan. Cadets as teachers. How does a leader's role in being a teacher apply to cadets? In CAP, ranking cadets are routinely called upon to train newcomers. With the responsibility to teach junior cadets comes the opportunity for experienced cadets to hone their leadership skills. In a sense, both the student and the instructor learn something. Further, as role models, ranking cadets have a duty to lead by example. Teaching is not something that happens only in a classroom. Ranking cadets are constantly teaching juniors how to act because their behavior is always on display. Cautionary note. Can this idea of a leader being a teacher go too far? Leaders who are seen as having all the answers could inadvertently make the team dependent on them. How much easier it is to ask a teacher for the correct answer than to think for oneself? In learning to lead, it is especially important for people to take some chances, risk making some mistakes, and then to learn from them. Personal experience is often the best teacher. Education is a lifelong process. Each individual ought to take responsibility for their own learning. Roles of leader summary, the need for a well-rounded person. Based on this brief survey of the roles leaders play, it is clear that if you wish to lead, you need to become a well-rounded person. Leaders communicate, teach, and inspire, sometimes all at once. A leader who is skilled in only one facet of leadership will struggle because the team needs more. Successful leaders can change roles quickly and easily without losing focus of the team's ultimate goal. We've considered only a few leadership roles. What other roles do you see leaders playing? Do you know anyone who is especially good in those roles? Why? Section 4. Two Introductory Theories Great Man Theory Objectives 8. State the definition of the Great Man Theory 9. Describe some of the assumptions the theory holds about leadership in your own words. He had seen everything, had experienced all emotions, from exultation to despair, had been granted a vision into the great mystery, the secret places, the primeval days before the flood. He had journeyed to the edge of the world and made his way back, exhausted but whole. Gilgamesh suffered all and accomplished all. Gilgamesh, circa 2500 BCE, Stephen Mitchell, translator. The history of the world is but the biography of great men. In the ancient Babylonian epic, Gilgamesh is not only king, but the greatest representative of the human race. He is king because he is great, and great because he is king. The story is an example of what is perhaps the oldest leadership philosophy, Great Man Theory. Great Man Theory professes that to study leadership, focus on the life stories of successful people. There are two kinds of individuals in this theory eventful and event-making. Only those who shape history through their actions truly deserve to be called leaders. Whatever skills made them specially equipped to lead were awarded at birth. 
To learn what leadership is, students of the great man theory study the lives of great men. Superman, the great man of the movies. Superman comes to Earth with extraordinary powers. He moves to Metropolis and begins fighting crime. Truth, justice, and the American way prevail. In Superman Returns, the filmmakers ask what would happen to Metropolis were Superman to leave, and would Metropolis return to greatness if Superman returns. The story is an example of the great man theory in action because 1. Superman is born with special qualities making him a leader. 2. Superman shapes history rather than being shaped by history. 3. Superman's leadership causes Metropolis's greatness. Without Superman, the city spirals into ruin. The Last Great Man, Winston Churchill Winston Churchill earned widespread acclaim for leading England during World War II. According to Great Man Theory, a student of leadership should read biographies of Churchill. Listen to his many famous speeches. Read the books he authored and recognize his worth as a role model. They should take it for granted that Churchill is superior to them in nearly every way. Their task is simply to ask why. Why was he an effective leader? Why was he great? Why did he succeed? Churchill's attitudes toward life might be investigated, as well as his decision-making processes, political opinions, and interactions with other great men. The theory awards enormous clout to these great men of history. One would not presume to challenge or contradict the example set by the great men. Their lives set the standard for leadership, the theory teaches. Everyone else is a lesser actor on history's stage. A study of the best. Great man theory teaches that there are certain individuals whose accomplishments belong to a canon of Western civilization. The word canon here refers to a list of works considered to represent the very best in the world. Anyone who means to lead ought to know something about those men and women and learn from their example. History, the ancient Greek historian Thucydides, instructs, is philosophy teaching by examples. Biography and history become the means to learning about leadership. Who can presume to lead if they did not know that Socrates freely drank poison, so convinced he was that nothing truly bad can ever come to a good person? The 272 words Lincoln spoke at Gettysburg. That Eisenhower had a letter ready, accepting total responsibility for the terrible failure of D-Day, a letter victory made unnecessary. Just as a professional pilot is assumed to recognize common aircraft on sight, leaders are presumed to be acquainted with the biographies of the great men. Churchill's destiny to lead. Are the great men of history destined for greatness? Even as a teenager, Winston Churchill was convinced he would be called upon to save England. I have a wonderful idea about where I shall be eventually, Churchill told a friend when he was 16. I have dreams about it, I see further ahead. I see into the future. This country will be subjected somehow to a tremendous invasion. London will be in danger and in the high position I shall occupy, it will fall to me to save the capital, to save the empire. In other words, a 16-year-old boy had daydreams about single-handedly saving England. And that's pretty much what he did. Are great men destined to lead? Churchill's story is a perfect example of the great man theory. Leaders are born. The first thing most of you people need to know about leadership the great basketball coach Bobby Knight once lectured, is that most of you simply don't have it in you. Leadership, according to the great man theory, has an almost magical quality found only in a select few. 
Education and experience did not grant the great men leadership skill, but birthright or superior genes or some other factor set at birth. According to the great man theory of leadership, if you are a genuine leader, you'll know it. Counterpoint, the myth of the great man. Objectives, 10. Describe why the great man theory fails to explain failure. 11. Summarize the military's view about the great man theory. 12. Describe why the theory may be guilty of hero worship. Hero worship exists, has existed, and will forever exist, universally among mankind. Thomas Carlyle, Scottish Historia. The lives of successful men and women can teach us much about leadership. And certain people do seem to be blessed with natural talents. But those are generalizations. To evaluate whether the great man theory explains what leadership is and how leaders arise among us, we have to dig deeper. A poor theory, great man theory does not explain how we determine who is a successful leader. The great men are great because of acclamation, fame, rank, or reputation. But how are the great men evaluated? Who decides who gets admitted into the club? A theory is supposed to give a framework for the generation of new tests and ideas on a topic. Because great man theory offers no criteria or scorecard for greatness, it is difficult to test its claim that leaders are born. Overman. Greatness without conscience. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche imagined an ideal modern man. His overman, or superman, would no longer be affected by pity, suffering, tolerance of a weak, the power of a soul over the body. It was the great man theory twisted to meet evil ends. His philosophy is cited for helping give rise to the Nazis. In direct response to the overman, the comic book hero Superman challenges the idea that greatness can be separated from traditional moral values. Fails to explain failure. Even the greatest of the supposedly great men experienced failure during their lifetimes. Who hasn't? Again, Churchill's life is instructive. He is blamed for the British failure during the Battle of Gallipoli in World War I. Between the World Wars, he lost power, finding himself exiled to a political wilderness. But if leaders are born, as the great man theory argues, why did Churchill fail spectacularly? What accounts for his return to leadership? Perhaps he learned from his failures and became stronger because of them. If that is the case, experience, education, and situation have a much greater impact on leadership than the great man theory acknowledges the Air Force view. America's military has a reputation for producing world-class leaders. If the great man theory is true, the military's success is due to their recruiting the right people, men and women whose inborn abilities make them destined for leadership. But the military has a different view. They invest millions yearly in leadership training, basic training, ROTC, service academies, war colleges, and countless other schools. Why? They believe that by investing in people they will produce leaders. Air Force Doctrine, the service's official beliefs, states that leadership is built from experience, education, and training. And as discussed in Chapter 2, even the definition of the word cadet, a leader in training, takes sides in the debate over whether leaders are born or made. A fairy tale view of leadership. Humankind has celebrated heroes for centuries. The most ancient text in human history, the Epic of Gilgamesh, quoted above, tells the story of a leader who goes on a fantastic journey to undiscovered lands, encounters monsters, and gains secret wisdom. In short, the first character ever to appear in literature is a superhero. Is it possible, then, that in our desire to create heroes, 
the natural-born leaders of the great man theory receive more credit than they deserve. Might the theory be guilty of hero worship? Historians are discovering unsettling facts about the lives of the great men. Thomas Jefferson fathered children with his slave, Sally Hemings. Abraham Lincoln may have suffered from severe mental health problems. Both are awesome leaders, but only human after all. In the fairy tale understanding of leadership offered by the great man theory, our civilization would be great again if only a superhero appeared to guide us. Trait Theory Objectives 13. Define Trait Theory 14. Identify five traits a leader should possess and defend your choices. If you want to know what leadership is, look at the character traits leaders display. To become a leader, develop those traits in yourself. That's the philosophy behind trait theory. Trait theory explains leadership in terms of the personality and character of the leader. It is a search for the special qualities that distinguish leaders from followers. If only we knew what those traits are, leadership theorists reasoned, we could bottle them and produce outstanding leaders every time. Trait theory began as a scientific search for the definitive traits that make leaders effective. Researchers studied the lives of the successful. They interviewed the top executives, politicians, and generals in hopes of identifying traits common to them all. Instead of finding the essence of leadership, a holy grail, researchers found just the opposite. Each leader is unique in their personal qualities and in their approach to leading. CAP transforms cadets into leaders. Believing that leadership comes from experience, education, and training, CAP transforms cadets into leaders through academics, self-study and classroom exercises where cadets acquire knowledge of leadership as an academic subject, activities, camps and schools showing cadets how leadership principles play out in real life, staff service, where cadets learn to lead by actually leading and taking ownership over their program. Air Force traditions, using drill and ceremonies, the uniform, and other Air Force symbols to model positive attitudes toward leadership. Have it your way, the made-to-order leader. Suppose you were to write a help-wanted ad for your ideal family doctor. It might read, Wanted, doctor who is caring, intelligent, friendly, and listens well. In looking for someone to fill a position, we often look for a candidate who possesses certain traits. Anyone who has those traits would perform well, we assume. Trait theory works the same way. But what traits would you put in your help wanted ad as you search for a leader? Exercise. Take part in the classic trait theory exercise. Imagine you are building the perfect leader. What five qualities do you inject into that leader to make them effective? Why? Here are several possibilities. Competent. Humble. Insightful. Helpful. Decisive. Tactful. Tolerant. Loyal. Experienced. Wise. Compassionate. Inspiring. Smart. Friendly. Courageous. Visionary. Empowering. Driven. Cool. Respectful. Confident. Dependable. Generous. Considerate. Optimistic. Daring. Ambitious. Welcoming. Cooperative. Persuasive. Funny. If you can imagine other traits not included here, then you're on the right track. The possibilities seem endless. Although trait theory is one of the oldest philosophies about leadership, coming to prominence in the late 1800s, it continues to influence us today. An imperfect search for the perfect leader. Objectives. 15. Explain why there is no consensus about which leadership traits are ideal. 16. Explain why no one set of traits can prepare a leader for every challenge. 17. Explain why prejudice makes trait theory a problematic framework for discussing leadership. 18. 
Explain why trait theory runs contrary to the idea that leaders are made, not born. Does trait theory succeed in painting a picture of the perfect leader? The top five leadership traits you include on your list will almost certainly differ from the traits another cadet includes on theirs. Even worse, it's easy to imagine two people desiring traits that are total opposites of one another. Consider this example. Cadet Curry, passionate. I watched Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. He is a passionate leader. You just know he believes what he says because he speaks so forcefully about civil rights. Those intense, strong emotions are what makes the speech memorable. No wonder the 200,000 people in the audience were willing to follow his lead. Therefore, I add passionate to my list of great leadership traits. Cadet Arnold, dispassionate. My soccer coach cared so much about winning she would get carried away. If our team was behind, she would lose her temper. Sometimes, she would become so uncontrollable referees had to kick her off the field. Therefore, I think a leader needs to be calm and logical. If you get emotional, you'll say things you don't mean and disgrace yourself. Therefore, I add dispassionate to my list of key leadership traits. Each cadet offers a good explanation for their choice. But their choices are polar opposites. Who is to say which cadet is right? If you were to lead a team whose members wanted you to be both passionate and dispassionate, would you find that fair? Is it even possible? The major weakness in trait theory is that no one agrees which traits make a good leader. The golden mean, Aristotle's middle ground. The philosopher Aristotle realized how it's possible to have too much of a good thing. He defined virtue, excellence of character, as the middle ground between two extremes. How might that idea apply to trait theory? Can a leader have too much of one trait and not enough of its mirror image? Imagine each pair of traits below were placed on a teeter-totter. The goal would be to balance the two extremes, cowardly versus foolishly brave, too flexible versus too stubborn, overly cautious versus overly hasty, uncaring versus hypersensitive, silent versus too talkative. A time for everything. Wouldn't the traits you want to find in a leader depend on the situation? There is a time and place for everything. The qualities we hope to see in a kindergarten teacher paint one image in our minds. The qualities a helicopter pilot needs in rescuing someone while under fire are something else. One of the major disservices of trait theory is its suggestion that a leader can command all situations with the same basic gifts. Prejudice. When trait theory was taking shape in the late 1800s, society was organized differently. Women could not vote. Kids attended different schools, depending on their race. Individuals were judged based on what their dad did for a living. The inequalities of the day reinforced the idea that only certain people could lead. Could these prejudices have affected how people viewed leaders and judged which traits were best? Individuals who have tremendous potential are sometimes robbed of their chance to lead because their personal traits do not match someone's preconceived notions of what makes a leader. Believing in people, trait theory centers on the individual's personality. If these so-called perfect leadership traits do not come naturally to you, if you were born with other gifts, then supposedly you can never lead. The conclusion is at odds with what we know about the power of determination and character. Because history is filled with stories of people working hard and developing their unique potential, trait theory brings aspiring leaders down the wrong path. A flawed but useful theory. Leaders have proven to be a bit more inspiring, more brilliant, and more persuasive than the average person. Although trait theory fails to offer the ultimate explanation of leadership, 
Anyone who wants to lead ought to consider the qualities that make leaders extraordinary. A pageant of leadership traits. Profiled below are four people from diverse backgrounds. Each has undoubtedly influenced or directed people to accomplish something remarkable, which therefore qualifies them as leaders. Note the similarities and differences in their leadership traits. Harriet Tubman was no George Washington and vice versa. Each leader here is a unique individual who developed their potential and found a way to make a difference. Human rights, Harriet Tubman, the Moses of her people. Harriet Tubman was an abolitionist, humanitarian, and union spy during the Civil War. Selfless, had escaped slavery and yet returned again and again to the South to rescue other slaves. Ingenious, created a network of safe houses, the Underground Railroad, that brought hundreds of slaves to freedom. Courageous, first woman to lead an armed expedition in the Civil War. Devout, steadfast in her religious faith, believing God would not allow slavery to continue. The Arts, Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense. Alfred Hitchcock is regarded as one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. Pioneering, among the first directors to use camera movement, editing, and special effects to tell a story in a purely visual language. Technically expert, his knowledge of lenses and lighting was so deep, he could direct films without looking through the camera. Self-effacing, inserted into his film sly comments about his being a rotund, plain-looking Englishman. Funny, a great practical joker who made light of dark topics like murder and death. His humor won him many admirers. Sports, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Team Hoyt is a dad, Dick, and son, Rick, who are athletes showing people what the disabled can accomplish. Inspirational. The team has competed in over 65 marathons despite Rick being unable to walk or talk due to being born with cerebral palsy. Optimistic. Doctors said Rick would live in vegetative state, but the family did not give up hope in Rick's potential. Transforming, the team is credited with helping people change their attitudes toward the physically challenged. Perseverant. The team has endured long hours of difficult training, and at first they even had to fight for a chance to compete. Politics and Military George Washington, the father of our country George Washington led the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War, and later was elected the first President of the United States. Humble, refused to be addressed as Your Majesty, establishing the more modest Mr. President as the standard. Courteous, copied out by hand 110 rules of civility he believed should guide everyday actions. Visionary, among the first political leaders to articulate a national vision for the whole of America. Disciplined, resigned his commission as general, when he could have used that power to personal advantage and become a king. What is leadership? The search continues. What is leadership? In this chapter, we have explained how the Air Force defines leadership, but we also encountered other perspectives on it. Likewise, we found that a leader is called upon to play several roles. How challenging it would be to write a complete description for the job of leader, the responsibilities are so varied. And through our study of the great man theory and the trait theory, more questions were raised than answered. Leadership remains elusive. It is not easily pinned down or explained. But simply by discovering how mysterious leadership can be, that it requires deep study and reflection, you have taken an important step in your development as a leader. Section 5, Symbol of America, The Flag Objectives 19. Discuss the history of the flag 20. Discuss why the flag is an important national symbol It is over 230 years old. We call it Old Glory, the Stars and Stripes, the Star-Spangled Banner. The American flag is our most important and most recognizable national symbol. Origins 
to help signify that the United States was a new and independent nation. On June 14, 1777, the U.S. Congress created the flag. The legislation declared, resolved, that the flag of the 13 United States shall be 13 stripes, alternate red and white. That the Union be 13 stars, white on a blue field, representing a new constellation. June 14th is celebrated each year as Flag Day. Changing Designs At first, a new star and a new stripe was added to the flag whenever a state joined the Union. After the admission of Kentucky, the Congress voted to return to a design of 13 stripes, adding only a new star for each new state. The current flag was introduced on July 4, 1960, shortly after Hawaii became the 50th state. Anatomy of the U.S. Flag When flying from a pole, the side of the flag touching the pole is known as the hoist. The top left corner of the U.S. flag, the blue background with 50 stars, is called the Union. The length of the flag is known as the fly. Inspiring an anthem Seeing the flag withstand an attack on Fort McHenry in 1814, Amateur poet Francis Scott Key penned The Star-Spangled Banner. The poem, which later would become our national anthem, changed how Americans felt about their flag. In the early 1800s, national flags were not objects ordinary people admired. Especially in Europe, people associated them with the often abusive power of the state or the military. But thanks to Key, the U.S. flag became an icon of democracy. The People's Flag As Key's poem grew in popularity, and as the new nation's democratic ideals proved their staying power, the flag became the definitive symbol of America. For many, it represents the best things about our people, our land, and our commitment to equality. Your flag, your freedom. Texas versus Johnson, do you have a right to burn the flag? During the 1984 Republican National Convention in Dallas, Texas, Gregory Lee Johnson burned an American flag to protest the policies of the Reagan administration. No one was hurt or threatened, but many bystanders were outraged. A Texas court convicted Johnson of desecration of a venerated object. He was fined $2,000 and sentenced to one year in prison. After a series of appeals, the case reached the Supreme Court. Johnson argued that the First Amendment guarantees his right to free speech. In his view, burning the flag was a sincere form of protest. The fact that his act upset people was beside the point, according to Johnson. Indeed, the attention made his protest more effective. The state of Texas argued it could ban flag burning. Because the flag is an important symbol of national unity, Texas argued it deserved special protection. Texas also cited its need to preserve order. If you were a justice on the Supreme Court, how would you decide? Writing for the court, Justice William Brennan said, the government may not prohibit the verbal or nonverbal expression of an idea merely because society finds the idea offensive or disagreeable, even where our flag is involved. If Johnson had threatened violence or imminent lawless action, the state could have stopped his demonstration. But because Johnson's protest was nonviolent, the court struck down the Texas law and upheld the right to burn the flag. This court will not create an exception to the First Amendment for the American flag alone. The center fielder who saved the flag. And wait a minute, there's an animal loose, sportscaster Vince Scully announced during a baseball game between the Dodgers and Cubs in 1975. I'm not sure what he's doing out there, but it looks like he's going to burn a flag. At first glance, Cubs center fielder Rick Monday thought some kids had raced onto the field to perform a harmless prank. 
He wasn't sure what they were up to until they got a closer look. That's when I saw the flag. They unfurled it as if it was a picnic blanket. They knelt beside it, not to pay homage, but to harm it. In the middle of a ball game at Dodger Stadium, Monday watched as one of the men produced a can of lighter fluid and began to douse the flag. What will you do? Rick Monday chose to act. I started to run after them. I was mad. I was angry. Then the wind blew the first match out. The second match was lit just as I got there. Making a split-second decision, Monday decided he would tackle the men and protect the flag from harm. I saw them put the match to the flag. I just scooped it up. My first thought was, is this on fire? Well, fortunately, it was not. I continued to run. Other ballplayers came to Monday's aid. His teammates brought the flag into the safety of the dugout and police apprehended the would-be flag burners. Before the game could resume, the crowd spontaneously began singing, God bless America. I saw them put the match to the flag. I just scooped it up. My first thought was, is this on fire? Well, fortunately, it was not. I continued to run. Other ballplayers came to Monday's aid. His teammates brought the flag into the safety of the dugout and police apprehended the would-be flag burners. Before the game could resume, the crowd spontaneously began singing, God bless America. Flag etiquette. Objective. 21. Identify proper and improper ways to display the flag. Because the flag represents America, democracy, and the best in our nation, the Congress has asked Americans to display it with a special degree of respect. How you treat the flag can say a lot about what you think about America. Outlined below are basic rules about flag etiquette. Displaying the flag. To display the flag properly, observe the following guidelines. Display the flag every day, especially national holidays. Public buildings, schools, and polling places are expected to display the flag. Fly the flag from sunrise to sunset or through the night if illuminated. Do not fly the flag during bad weather. Briskly hoist the flag up the flagpole and lower it ceremoniously. If marching in a group of flags, the U.S. flag belongs front and center of all other flags or on the marching right. If displaying in a group of flags, place the U.S. flag at the center and the highest point of the formation. If displaying flat against a wall, the union belongs in the uppermost corner and to the flag's own right, above and behind the speaker. If displaying on a speaker's platform, the flag should be placed in advance of the audience and to the speaker's right. Any other flag could be placed to the speaker's left. If displaying the flag at cross staffs, the U.S. flag belongs on its own right, with its staff in front of the other. If hoisting a flag out a window or balcony, send the union out first. If displaying the flag over the middle of a street, point the union toward the north or east. If the flag is to cover a casket, the union belongs over the deceased's left shoulder. If the flag is to fly at half-staff, first briskly hoist it to the peak, then lower in ceremoniously to half-staff. At the end of the day, briskly return the flag to the peak, before ceremoniously lowering it for the day. Taboos To show respect to the flag, avoid the following. Do not allow the flag to touch the ground. Do not use the flag in advertising. Do not fly the flag upside down, except as a sign of distress. Do not fly another flag above the U.S. flag. Do not drape the flag over a parade float or a car. Do not wear the flag as clothing. Do not place words, logos, or pictures on the flag. Do not fly a tattered or dirty flag. Destroy worn flags in a dignified manner, usually by burning. Section 6, Drill and Ceremonies Training As part of your study of this chapter, you will be tested on your ability to perform the following drill and ceremonies commands. Experienced cadets will instruct you. For details, see the CAP Drill and Ceremonies pamphlet available at gocivilairpatrol.com drill.
From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 3. 1. Change Step, March. 2. Eyes, right and ready, front, while on the march. 3. Incline to the left and incline to the right. 4. Route Step, March. From the CAP Drill and Ceremonies Pamphlet, Chapter 4. 1. Column left or right, march, and forward, march. 2. Column of files. 3. Column of files, column right and left. 4. Close, march, and extend, march, at the halt, and on the march. 5. At close interval, dress right, dress, and ready, front. Review quiz. Use this review quiz to help you study. Also pay special attention to the objectives listed throughout the chapter. They identify what we want you to learn. If you're comfortable responding to the objectives, you should earn a high score on the chapter test. 1. What is the Air Force's definition of leadership? 2. What is the mission? Define the term. 3. Why does the Air Force say you need not be a commander to lead? 4. In America especially, why is accountability such an important factor in leadership? 5. Why do leaders need to be visionaries? How is Mitchell a visionary? 6. Why do leaders need to be motivators? How is Kennedy a motivator? 7. Why do leaders need to be communicators? How is King a communicator? 8. Why do leaders need to be experts? How is Doolittle an expert? 9. Why do leaders need to be teachers? How is Sullivan a teacher? 10. In your own words, define the great man theory. 11. Describe at least two weaknesses in the great man theory. 12. In your own words, define trait theory. 13. List five traits a leader should possess. Defend your choices. 14. Describe at least two weaknesses in trait theory. 15. What does the flag symbolize? Why is it such an important American icon? 16. Recall three rules and three taboos regarding the proper display of the flag.